anybody ever shoot an eyeball out? Okay, good, good, okay. All right, but we all grew up hearing about how dangerous BBs are, right? How, would, how could these BBs actually be harmful and hurt any of us this morning? Swallow. Oh, swallow. I, out of the box thinker. I did not think about that one. So would it really hurt you, though? They're not lead, they're steel. You just pass it, you know? So how else could they hurt you? Get shot with it, right? Chew, oh, chew it. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Stick it up your nose. <laughs> Elementary school teacher over here. Yeah, back there. What's that? Stings. Yeah, it would sting if we get hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what if there is a more subtle way to get hurt by it? One that does not involve high-velocity projectiles. I want you to do something. If, if you are physically able, I want you to put it in your shoe. Just do it. Do it. Come on. Come on. It's not that I'm watching right now. Jesus is watching, okay? So he is watching who does what the pastor says to do, right? Okay, now... Now, once you have it in your shoe, what I want you to do, this is going to be, this is, this is family, this is simple Sunday, so everything goes out the window. Stand up. Come on, come on, stand up. March in place. Come on. Come on. Here we go. Here we go. Anybody, anybody feeling it yet? Let it, let it kind of get into the, into the, your foot there, so. Okay, all right. Now you can sit down. There you can sit down. There you go. Probably one of the strangest things you've ever been asked to do in a church setting before, right? There we go. Well, here's, here's the point, is that let's, let's say, let's say um, that we all have just one BB in, in our shoe, and, and we're kind of up, we're, we're worshiping, we're walking around, we're hanging out, we're talking, and after a while, what would we start to do? We'd start to limp right? We'd start to kind of favor that foot, right? Like, oh, it's under my heel now. I can't do that. And so we trying to shake it, rearrange it, you know. It's why I got rid of my Keens hiking sandals back, you remember the early 2000s, the closed-toed Keen hiking sandals? They were ingenious because they were sandals, but they had a closed toe until you were going downhill and the pebbles went in and then they were permanently stuck at the toes and you're like constantly doing that, right? And, and if, you would, if someone would walk in and see us all like gimping around on one foot, they'd be like, what is going on? Like, is this a super charismatic church? Like, what's going on, right? We're doing the whole thing, right? And they couldn't see what exactly is going on. They couldn't see the root issue because it's hidden. But they could see that something was wrong, right? Because that BB, after a little bit of time, will start to hurt our foot, when we start to walk differently, it will hurt our ankle. When our ankle is hurting, it will travel up to our knee. Our leg will start to hurt. Our hip will start to hurt. Our back will start to hurt. All because of that one stupid, tiny, little BB. Right? Can you imagine right now at mile 80, have you ever gotten a rock stuck in your shoe? What do you do on your ultra marathons if you get a rock? Do you just, just power through? you just keep on going? No, you don't. <laughs> I was going to say, I know this guy. He is, he is very fastidious. Like, here, babe, can you please? <laughs> okay, I'm going to remember that. You have, I like that. Good, good illustration right there. So 
We have this odd little Sunday, right? It's kind of this gap Sunday. It can be a throwaway Sunday, and I'm just going to give a little, oh, Jesus loves you, yay, you know, blah, blah, blah. But as I was praying over the last, like, month or two, kind of like, okay, we're not going to start a series on, on, on New Year's Eve day, right? But, but yet, I want this to be something that really matters. And so typically, I guarantee, like, probably a lot of churches across the nation right now are, here's your goals, here's your plan, let's, let's charge forward, achieve, 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 more, 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 do, 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 how do we be better, be better, be better? And I was kind of like, okay, how do we do that? And, and it was kind of funny because in one of my, in, in a devotional that I was doing a while back already, it, it, all of a sudden it's sort of like, that's what you need to talk about. We need to talk about confession. Now, confession is one of those things that I kind of approach with a lot of sensitivity and humility. Why? Because a lot of us probably, and we're going to be talking more about this and tired of trying to measure up, is that a lot of times confession, we hear that as kind of like, nope, out out. I'm done. I've been hurt by that before. I've been duped before. I've been tricked into confessing. And then it was either used to shame me. It was used to control, to manipulate. I always felt like I had to do this because it was a performance-based thing, right? And so I was kind of like, nah, God, uh, I did not hear you correctly. Okay, come on. Tell me what we need to talk about. I told you, (laughs) you need to talk about confession, and so I kind of wrestled with God. He dislocated my hip, and then I, you know, just kidding. <laughs> Bible, Bible reference there for you. But no, I mean, I understand that confession means different things to different people. And so this morning, I want to be really sensitive about that because a lot of us have experienced hurt and confusion and betrayal and manipulation and, and all sorts of things. But yet, I think as we look at going into a new year, I think confession is going to be absolutely critical. I think it's going to be absolutely foundational. Psalm chapter 32 gives us an incredible example of confession. The Psalms are basically like prayers. It's like prayers that we can, we can read um, to help us pray, right? And so if you're ever struggling, like, I want to pray more. Like, honestly, right now I'm trying to grow in how I pray. And, and, I, and so what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm reading things that kind of help get the wheels going, kind of primes the pump, gets me going in my conversation with God. And so it's cool because the Bible gives us the Psalms, which is basically a book of prayers. And so David, who knew a thing or two about sin and had a couple things in his life that he needed to confess, he actually writes these beautiful prayers of confession. And one of my favorites is in Psalm chapter 32, and it goes like this. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those who record the Lord, um, whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Okay, he's using the good old kind of like give a compliment and then give a critique, right? He's sort of like, here's the good thing. Your record's cleared, you're loved, what joy, this is good, right? This is so good. It's sort of like, okay, where's the but? Verse number three, but when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. The thing with confession, when we refuse it, it's like sin was like those BBs. 
in his shoe, and he's kind of like, I can't stop. Like, it's hurting me. I'm wasting away. It's like a cancer on the inside that is just corrupting me from the inside out. It's destroying me. It's sapping my strength. I'm rotting from the inside out. Now, here's the interesting thing is that people probably knew, they didn't know exactly what was going on in David's life. And sometimes I'm glad that he doesn't give specifics because then we'd, ob- we'd obsess about the specifics. But instead, we just see, no, he's struggling with sin. And people could tell what's wrong with him. And so he says, I don't want to confess these things, but obviously something is wrong. It was wearing him down, and he felt like he couldn't go on. But then in verse 5, finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. I love how he says, I, I confess, I stopped trying to hide. And I just came out and I just said, hey, God, I got to tell you something. And God's kind of like, finally, you weren't hiding from me. You know, we're, we, a lot of times we're like the little kids are so like, oh, you can't see me. It's like, I see you right there, right? Like God sees us. He knows what's going on. But when we finally confess to him, that can be an embarrassing a painful thing, right? But yet, finally, we get it out there. Have you ever confessed something to someone or apologized and you just carry it around like this big old rucksack and you're, you're like, oh, nobody's going to know. They're going to know, right? Nobody's going to know. They're going to know. They all know. And, and we're carrying it around and finally, we're afraid, but finally, we just get it out in the open and we think they're going to run away. They're going to yell at me. They're going to do this. And it's kind of like, I know, it's okay, let's talk, right? And there's like this relief that's taken off of us. That's what he's trying to get us. And then, then I love in verses eight and nine, it says, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit or bridle to keep it under control. The thing is, is when we have unconfessed sin and we're trying to, you know, trying to hide it and, and excuse it and deny it or whatever, we're, we're like a wild animal that God's kind of like, this, is, this isn't going to be fun because I got to guide you. But when we confess, we get rid of these things and it's kind of like, what do you want me to do, God? We remove the barriers between, that we've put between us and God. And now all of a sudden he can say, I'm going to guide you. Hiding, agony, rebellion, guilt, all those things are replaced by joy, forgiveness, and wisdom. Now, this is what, confession is, is actually pretty simple. It's, it's three things. Number one, it starts with agreeing with God. We stop trying to hide, stop trying to conceal, we stop trying to excuse sin, and we admit that something is wrong. That is not very popular in our culture because in our culture, it's you do you, speak your truth, do this, do what makes you happy. And we're just bombarded with nothing's wrong. Well, if nothing's wrong, explain the world to me, right? Like we are such a messed up world and there's a lot of good going on, but yet even in the good, there's still pain, there's hurt, there's, there's so much mess. We are sinful, broken people living in a sinful, broken world. And even as we try hard and we try to do all these things, if we're just going for what makes us happy and what we think is right and everything like that, we're going to, it's like, you know, there's, everybody has their individual truth. There's 7 billion people in the world. Then that means that we have 7 billion different truths that are competing with each other, right? 
That is not a recipe for success. We have to appeal to something bigger to us. And so confession is basically we stop and we agree with God at what he says. First and foremost, confession is saying, God, I have sinned against you. I have hurt you. I have rebelled against you. It's so much between us and God. And if, it's, if we don't have a high sense of who God is, then we're never going to take it seriously. But when we realize, I have gone against the creator of all things, the sovereign creator, my loving savior, my Lord, who, who like, is as big as it gets, and I've gone against him, if that doesn't start to wreck us, we're not going to overcome sin. We just won't. Because, because our yes isn't big enough to say no. But when we have a big God, then we say yes to him, then all of a sudden it's easier to say. When we have a big yes, it's easier to say no. So we have to recognize and agree with God that we've, we've, we've gone against him, but then we also have to recognize that it goes against each other and against ourselves. And so it's, it's, it's agreeing that something is wrong. Now, this can hurt. It can be embarrassing. It's not fun, right? And we don't like that. But here's the thing, is that pain can be a motivator. It's not pain of shame, but it's the pain of, if I do something that I know hurts my wife or hurts my kids or hurts my friends, if I truly love them, I will see what I did and that will cause me pain. That's called guilt. Guilt is the warning light on the dash that's saying something is wrong with your engine, okay? Something needs to change. And if I see the pain that I cause them, that causes me pain. And I don't want to be in pain. I don't want them to be in pain. So, so confession is agreeing that something is wrong. We push through that pain. We turn it into a motivating force instead of a paralyzing force. And, and then we say we don't want to stay in it. We don't want to repeat it. We don't want to go back to it over and over again. I love how the missionary Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He says, it does not spoil your happiness to confess your sin. I don't want to confess because it's not fun. Confessing isn't not fun. The unhappiness is, is in not making the confession. So a while back, we talked about joy, right, during Advent, and how we allow things to steal our God-given joy. Unconfession, unconfessed sin, steals our joy. Because we are not willing to agree with God that something is wrong. So we got to push through the awkwardness. we got to push through the pain. We actually have to turn that into a motivator to say, I don't want this anymore between me and God, between me and someone else, between me and myself. Sin is deadly, and confession hurts for a bit, but it actually leads to freedom. So agree is the first. The second one is this, leave. Turn away from it. That is part of confession. We talk about confession and repentance. Repentance is basically I'm going towards something, and I agree with God that that is wrong. I don't want that anymore. And so then what do I do? I turn away from it. I go away from it. I go towards God instead of towards the thing that was actually going to enslave me over here. And so leaving, there's a lot of trust that goes in it. Confession is trusting God. We always talk about how, you know, discipleship is moving from areas of unbelief to belief in every area of my life. And so turning away from something, and I'm putting my trust in God that he really will forgive me. 
right? Like, like if we had a bad relationship with a teacher or a coach or a parent, and it's kind of like, I don't want them to know the things that I did wrong because I know they're going to take it out on me. They're irrational. They're not kind. They're not loving. They're not unforgiving. We're not going to trust that person. And a lot of times we feel that way about God because that's what we've grown up being taught. That's what a lot of churches teach. That's what a lot of religious leaders teach, is God is an angry God. He's waiting for you to screw up, and, and, and so you better just put on a happy smiley face and just pretend it's all okay. That's not the confession of the Bible. Confession in the Bible that I know is I can trust him because of who he is. It's the prodigal son, which actually is really the prodigal father. And the religious people were upset because, well, I've been here the whole time. I've been busting my butt for you. I've been doing everything right, and blah, blah, blah. And the father is kind of like, I've been waiting for you to come home. Let's kill the fattened calf. Let's put the ring on your finger. Let's get a robe on your back. You are back, and I forgive you, and I love you. That's putting trust in Jesus. So agree, leave, and then the last one is receive. Are we letting Jesus Give us his love. Are we willing to actually walk in that freedom? Because a lot of times we still, it's kind of like we want to bring all that stuff with us and say, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. He goes, I will, now get it, get it out of here. A lot of times we say, you know, the woman, the, the sinful woman, I don't condemn you. See, Jesus doesn't condemn. But then we forget the second part. He goes, now go and sin no more. He says, I've set you free from that, so don't drag it along with you. He doesn't condemn. He sets us free. Jesus loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way, right? And so we have to realize that that is confession. We agree that something's wrong. We want to leave it, and then we walk into something new. We receive that forgiveness. We allow him to transform us. We follow him on his way. And I love in verses 8 and 9 where it talks about how I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guide you through my word, through my spirit. I don't have to yank you by bridle, bit and bridle anymore. It's just you are in, in, you're in tune with what I'm wanting to do. Guilt, shame, embarrassment, hiding, all those things are gone, and we receive forgiveness, truth, freedom, joy, all, all those things. I love how 1 John uh, 1.9 says, it's, it's such a beautiful picture of confession. It says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just, to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all wickedness. That's what confession is. Confession is, is an action. It's a, it's a verb, right? Something comes from it. We are dead to the old, alive to the new. We're set free. We receive new life. Now, the cool thing is this is a one-time thing. This is called salvation, right? That is what it means to, to experience salvation, to receive salvation. We surrender our life. We confess that, hey, I've been living my own way right? For, for a lot of us, it probably looks differently, right? Some of us maybe have very dramatic stories. Some of us maybe think, well, I was never that bad of a person, right? But regardless, we, we agree that our life wasn't good. We leave it and we receive a new life. That's called salvation. And that is our eternal destiny. Like in that moment, we are going to heaven. We're going to spend eternity with God. But it's also an ongoing thing. Now you can say, oh, it's terrible. I just want it once and that's it. That actually isn't as good as news as you think because the ongoing is the good news because guess what? I'm still going to sin. You're still going to sin. We're still going to mess up. We're still going to hurt each other. 
And confession is this ability to create freshness, newness, wipe the slate clean, to, to receive and extend forgiveness. That's what confession does. And that's called sanctification. That is your churchy word of the day, sanctification. I re- I've been so challenged lately enough because it is kind of a churchy word, so it's like, no, that's not. No, sanctification is something we really need to, we need to focus on more because it's basically saying, I am saved, but yet I'm still struggling. How do we close that gap? How do we experience Christ in our lives more and more and more? Not because shame on you, you should, you shouldn't, blah, blah, blah. No, I want to experience clo- closeness in my relationship with God. I want to experience the goodness of what following Christ is like. So sanctification is a process that we go through that is actually incredibly life-giving and fun and freeing and, and it's just joyful. And so confession is a huge part of that because we're putting our, our trust in Jesus forever and right now. So Here's, here's another thing, is that confession is between us and Jesus, us and God, right? Like, we want to have that confession. Um, but it's also something that we experience together as a community. And this is a lot of times where the hurt gets involved, because sometimes leaders or churches or religions, they actually kind of treat this in a bad way. And maybe you've heard James chapter 5, verse 16 before. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, that can be twisted a lot of different ways that it wasn't ever meant to be twisted into. There's a lot of practices and a lot of things that that aren't truly biblical. What does it actually mean? It means none of us have to go it alone. We don't have to... We don't have to uh, just bare knuckle it between us and God. He gives us a community of believers that we can confess together. And we can extend grace and love and forgiveness together. A lot of times the power of of sin and shame is that it makes you feel alone, when in all actuality, we're not alone. As a youth pastor, I'd I'd always say, if all the kids that felt alone would get together, they'd realize they aren't alone. The same thing is true with sin. It's kind of like, I'm the only one who has ever thought this, experienced this, done this, struggled with this, held this, hid this, whatever, right? A lot of times we think, oh, if, if people would actually know, I would be out, I would be gonzo, I would be done, right? In reality, if you're thinking it, if you're experiencing it, if you're wrestling with it, if you're struggling with it, there's probably a lot of other people that are too, that are feeling exactly like you do right now. And the cool thing is that God created us as community to where we know I'm not alone in this. It doesn't make it okay, but it means I'm not hopeless. And there's going to be some of us that are stuck in this struggle way deeper than others, and there's going to be other people who say, I know exactly what you're talking about. I used to experience that too. I still struggle with it, but I'm, I'm free. Like I'm walking in what Christ, I've received what Christ has given me. Can I help you through this, right? We, we can experience that together. I love how 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says that followers of Jesus, all followers of Jesus, every man, every woman, from the oldest to the youngest, are a royal priesthood. You don't have to jump through certain hoops to be called a priest in the family of Christ. If you follow Jesus, you have a priesthood. Men, women, children. It says we are a royal priesthood together. It doesn't mean that we're all mature in that. It doesn't mean that we're, we're, we're advanced in that. We're all learning. We're all growing. We're walking in this identity as a royal priesthood. 
So what is the cool thing about the unique biblical Christian perspective that we're all a royal priesthood? We don't have to go to the priest. You don't have to come to me to confess. If you want to, you can, but I'm not going to be able to do anything for you other than just encourage you and walk and pray with you and pray for you and stuff like that. But you're not confessing to me. We are confessing to Jesus, right? And the cool thing is, is that it doesn't have to be me. It can be anybody. Anybody that, that loves Jesus, we can walk that journey together. That is powerful. That is, that is it, it gives Christian community a whole deeper meaning. And, and it gives us the opportunity to give tangible expressions of that grace, of that love, of that transformation, of that forgiveness to and with and for each other. It reassures us that we're not alone um, and, and we can walk together in, in the light, right? God's power is actually revealed in our weakness. Too often we think, this disqualifies me. This sidelines me. This, this, I'm not worthy. I'm not this. I'm not that. No, 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 no. This can be an opportunity for God to reveal his goodness through our struggles. There's a great example in the early church, in the earliest church, Acts chapter, 18, uh, Acts chapter 19, verses 18 through 20. Uh, if you want, read it later on today. But it's cool because like, they're, they're talking about Jesus and, and they're confessing. It says they come to Jesus and, and this, they started confessing the things that they were involved with. And in this area, sorcery was a big thing. Like witchcraft, the occult. Like they were like, yeah, we were deep in the occult, but Jesus shows us a different way. Well, what do I do with my library at home? Good old-fashioned book burning, right? And so Acts, Acts 19 talks about how they would bring their sorcery books with their spells and their incantations, and they brought them together and said, this is the old life. I'm dead to that. What are we going to do with it? We're going to destroy it. Do you know how much the books that they burned that day were worth? It says millions of dollars. Millions of dollars were sacrificed. We're just saying, no, that's the old self. I'm done with that. They confess it. And what's cool is you think that the community always were like, oh my goodness, if sorcery people are a part of that, I don't think I should be a part of that church, right? No, it says that the power of the good news of Jesus spread like an unstoppable wildfire. And many people responded. A lot of times we think we have to have our lives together. We have to be perfect. And I have to be a squeaky clean person to be able to be good enough to share the good news of Jesus. No, 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 no. It's through our weaknesses. It's through the things that we have confessed that we surrender to God, that we trust him with, that actually really connects. That's, that's what really connects. And our generation, the, sorry, my generation was all about big and showy and glitzy and glammy and look how amazing if you know we had the anybody remember the strongman uh gospel teams like they would actually have like these power lifters or like i'm gonna bend a pan over my knee jesus loves you i want to be like that right like we were dumb this generation i'm guaranteeing a lot of our young people are kind of like that's kind of weird that's kind of corny are you real can you relate with what i relate with do you struggle? Because we have a glittering image, but yet that's great for a season, but that doesn't really connect. And I think that the, the, the younger generation, not the church of tomorrow, the church of today, you're the church of today, <laughs> you're going to teach us what authenticity and vulnerability looks like. My generation has really tried to be vulnerable, but I, I, I'm praying that your generation can teach us. 
that, that, that you can teach us what it means to confess and say, this is my struggle. I've surrendered it to Jesus, and I'm experiencing transformation as we speak. Ups and downs, everything in between, but this is what it looks like. And I'm praying that the good news will spread like wildfire because of that. So here's the big idea this morning. Confession is an important part of discipleship. Now, I kind of I was like, I wrote that down. I was like, that doesn't really seem to do it justice. Because confession is an absolutely critical part of discipleship. It's absolutely foundational. Because when we confess, we actually get rid of the problem. Instead of trying to excuse and try to learn how to, like, ex- you know, like, I'm going to conceal the BB in my shoe. Nobody's going to know that there's a BB in my shoe. I'm just going to really try hard to just walk as best as I can. I'm going to willpower. I'm going I'm to grit my way through it, right? But what are we doing? We're building our plans, our hopes, our dreams on sand. Instead, God calls us to weed out the things that are going to cripple us and paralyze us along the way. And so this year, as we're looking towards 2024, yeah, I hope we have plans. I hope we have goals. I hope we have dreams. I hope that they are big and audacious and, and, and huge. I hope that those are all things. But what I want to remind us of is what needs to happen to lay the foundation for those things to actually happen in a sustainable way. Individually, but also as a church. We, we have goals this year. We have dreams. We have aspirations. We're, we're constantly like, how do we help people to know Jesus, whether it be for the first time or in a deeper and a new way? That is what we're always doing. But confession has to be a part of that. And so we intentionally try to gear in. We're trying to, like, we have our women's ministry. We have our men's ministry. We have men's Bible study. We have, we have different events. We have uh, connect groups, right? Why do we like connect groups? Because it's where the reality of the gospel collides with the reality of our lives. And we can confess these things together. We need to practice confession more and more and more. And not in a shame-based way, but in a, in a life-giving way in a hopeful, loving, forgiving way. Now, a couple caveats, a couple things. Confession itself does not make us right. Jesus does, right? Confession is only the conduit through which we experience that forgiveness. Um, So it's not like saying a confession uh, over and over or magical words or anything like that. That doesn't make us right. Jesus does. We have to be aware of legalism, right? That we think a person, a place, a ritual, a practice, uh, anything like that is what does it. Only Jesus can forgive us. Um, we need to be careful of either using confession in a way to embarrass or manipulate or control, or if someone is doing that to us. We need to be careful with that, right? We want to be very, very smart with that, um, True confession also isn't a, I'm going to confess what I'm about to do, <laughs> right? You guys know what I mean? Like, like that's, that's really how we sort of like, I'm sorry, Jesus, for what I'm about to do. I'm like, don't do it then, right? And it's also not a, um, I'm so sorry I did this, Jesus. Um, will you forgive me? And then we go right back into it, right? We're not dogs. We don't go back to our vomit, right? We don't want to do that. We want to actually let Jesus deliver us from the old stuff. 
And so we need to make sure that, now that's not to say we're, we're going to, we're going to struggle, we're going to everything like that, but, but you know what I'm talking about, the heart behind that, right? Um, confession also doesn't make us more worthy or lovable. Jesus does. And so it's merely removing the things in our situation, in our lives, that, that create barriers between us and God, because Jesus loves us. He says we are lovable. He says we are worthy. And so there's some things I just want to make sure that we're being smart with and careful with, um, with confession on that. So, moving from belief to action, knowing to doing. You all have those BBs in your shoes. I want to invite you, as we close out the last song, if, if you want, we have a pail there, we have two pails back there. If you want to just say, okay, God, I get the point. This is something I'm struggling with. Go, go and confess it between you and God, right? Or if it's something deeper that you're kind of like, I really want to process through this more, don't, don't, we're not an emotionally manipulative church. We're not going to make you stay in here until every last BB's in it. No, if you need to go home and spend some time talking with God, go home and spend some time talking with God. But take that BB and, and, and confess that. Use that as like, God, I confess this and I trust you with it. That's, that's my prayer, is that we can walk in confession. As we confess, we agree, we leave, and we receive. We can, we can uh, move forward in that growth that comes from confession. We can experience that confession more, that, that freedom more and more all the time. I'm going to pray, and then Rich is going to close this out with a song. God, I love you so much. I thank you for the fact that, that you call us to confession. You call us to address the things that maybe entrap us, that ensnare us. The things that, that um, have been hurting us have been hurting those around us. God, open our eyes to the things that maybe we aren't even aware of. It might be an attitude, it might be a behavior, it might be um, uh, just whatever it might be, God. Just Spirit, just speak to us. Help us to see what you see. Help us to pray the prayer of, of Psalm 139. Search me and know me. Find any offensive or disobedient way in me. Lead me on your path of life. God, I pray that this morning we can, we can uh, be both challenged but also encouraged. God, I pray that we can confess things to you, that we can remove the barriers that are keeping us from the life that you've designed us for and called us toward. And, and God, I pray that we would also confess to each other. God, if there's someone that we need to just ask for forgiveness from, or if there's someone that, that we just are going to trust that, hey, this person's going to help me walk through this right now. God, I pray that we can be a people that trust you and trust each other, that we can point each other towards you. God, I pray that as, as the community around us sees the change that comes from uh, an examined life, uh, a life that's characterized by confession, keeping short records of, man, I messed up, but I'm so sorry, God, and I, I turn to you. God, I pray that people would be challenged by that and also encouraged that they'd be drawn by your good news of that. God, I thank you for each one here this morning, those who are online, those who are watching or listening later. God, I just thank you for your love and that that is the greatest good in our life. God, we pray these things in your name. In your name.
Let's stand together. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come?